We are live. Shalom and welcome to this week's class. And uh, let's first start off with the dedications. Like to, uh, hey, how are you? Welcome back, my friend. Um, uh, in memory of uh, learning dedicated in memory of Dvorah Fega Bat Shmuel's Chronal and for the Fush Lame of Menachem Mendel Ben Sarabatia. And a very personal note, I'd like to uh, dedicate uh, this class to Razel Bas Miriam. May she have a complete Rafua Shalema and uh, only good and healthy news. Okay, so for those who are new here, we start off with a modern day issue. Then we get mystical, based on a teaching of a mystical teaching of the Rebbe, blessed memory. And then we come back from there and see what we learn about the practical issue that we presented. So today's modern day issue to be dealt with is, what is a real vacation anyway? Is it to recuperate from yesterday, rejuvenate for tomorrow, or is it to experience a whole new dimension of pleasure and inner peace today? A, B, or C? Well, if we are going to be honest, about the practical as well as the ideological, then our answer is D, all of the above. <laughs> okay? Yet so few of our, of our vacations hardly fully service even one of these reasons and purposes. How much less so all three? What are we doing wrong in our vacation? So much so that, okay, we're gonna finally acknowledge the suffering of the women that many male species in particular shy away from taking vacations and almost dread it altogether. And nevertheless, in the truest sense of the experience, we all yearn, yearn for the quintessential vacation. So what's going wrong? It's so beautiful, why is it so bad? Right, life's a bowl of cherries, why are we in the pits? In this lecture, we will explore the components of a quintessential vacation and how to create them. This lecture is based on a mimer of the Rebbe delivered in 1965, exploring the relationship between the building of the Holy Temple and Shabbat, and why we are forbidden to even build a Holy Temple on Shabbat. You know there are certain things that override Shabbat within the Temple itself. To bring a sacrifice is a transgression of Shabbat, yet certain sacrifices we bring on Shabbat. So why the building of the tabernacle couldn't we do on Shabbat? Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's go have a little introduction. To understand this introduction, I want to just go over something I mentioned last week. So you know that two weeks ago and three weeks ago, we read the commandment of all the details of how to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, right? Then last week, we went a little off topic. The beginning was still about it, but then we went to the golden calf and the whole aftermath and yada yada. This week and next week is almost a replica of two weeks ago and three weeks ago. Only that two weeks ago and three weeks ago we were talking about how God commanded us on the details. This week and next week we're repeating everything but not as a commandment but as the Jewish people actually built it. Okay? Now, with this in mind, twice we are taught the prohibition of working on Shabbat in connection to the building of the tabernacle, the Mishkan. Last week, 
we, in the beginning of the parsha, we talk about building that last item, the kior, the wash basin, and then it tells us about you have to work, you have to keep Shabbat. You're not allowed to do work on Shabbat. This week begins the Torah portion, and God get, and Moses gathered together the children of Israel and told them what God commanded. And before he goes into the actual building of the tabernacle done by the two chiefs, Betzalel and Aliyah, he all of a sudden has three verses that talks about not doing work on Shabbat. So our sages tell us one of the reasons of the proximity is to teach us that you're not allowed to build the tabernacle and later on in Jerusalem, the holy temple on Shabbat. You have to take a break and not work on Shabbat. Okay? So, we need to understand why. Why can't you do the work on Shabbat? And we'll talk about that. Now, I want to just point out one very important difference between the first time that God commanded us the prohibition of working on Shabbat in proximity to building the Mishkan and the second time. The first time, it was after all the details in the commandment. Right? Teruma, portion of Teruma, commandments, Tetzaveh, commandments, Kisisa, one last commandment about the wash basin, and then don't work on Shabbat. This week and next week, which is again all the details, how they actually made it, first there's the commandment of the prohibition to work on Shabbat, then there's all the details. Why in stage one does he command us after the details about not working on Shabbat, and the second time he tries, first says the commandment and then after that. Now, in Kabbalah and in Hasidus, everything has to be really carefully looked at. Thus, Kabbalah and Hasidus extrapolate from this that we're talking about two different dimensions of Shabbat. And as we explore the two different dimensions, we'll understand why the first Shabbat comes after all the details of the Mishkan and the second Shabbat comes before it. And then there's a third dimension. The third dimension of Shabbat is that in the Ten Commandments we talk about Shabbat not at all in relationship with the six days of working of the Mishkan. That kept on happening, right? Thus, we need to understand what are these three different Shabbatot. But we now know that Shabbat, even though it's one day a week, really you're experiencing three different dimensions in that one 24 hours. Okay? Now I want to share with you, and then we're going to go here to the handout for a moment. It's interesting how we all, we get so used to our prayers and we just mumble them, we don't even realize. So Friday night, Shabbat morning twice in Shacharit and in Musaf, and by Mincha, in all of the Amidas, we have a specific prayer. All right? You probably remember it from the song. Most people don't realize that every time you say it, not every time, Friday night one, Shabbos morning two, and Mincha three, all three times we change the words. Most people don't pay attention because you're always seeing the same thing, right? So look at the, the paper here and you'll see I placed over there a very interesting difference. On Friday night, 
the wording he uses feminine and we will rest there on feminine there on Shabbos morning by Shachros and Musaf we change the word ba to bo we use the Hebrew masculine term for there on for Shabbat when it comes to Mincha Shabbos thank you when it comes to Shabbos Mincha the afternoon prayer we change two things we change the word Shabbat singular to Shabbatot plural and we change the word thereon to bum Friday night bah Shabbos morning boy Mincha bum once again Kabbalah tells us that it's three different Shabbatot three different dimensions of Shabbatot there's the Shabbat you experience Friday night there's the Shabbat you experience Shabbos morning and there's the Shabbat you experience by Shabbos Mincha Shabbos afternoon three different Shabbatot okay so therefore we need to understand what is these three different dimensions of Shabbat okay and now let the lecture begin okay so you had the practical concept what does it take to have a real vacation a quintessential vacation not one that we dread and then there's the introduction of three Shabbatot and now we're gonna dive into the mystical stuff so the way it works my friends every week I give you a list of which mystical concepts we're gonna talk about we're gonna go through one by one by one then we're gonna close it up with understanding the modern-day issue of the quintessential vacation from these mystical teachings okay and, and just that you know the reason why I do this all is is because there wasn't a single time that the Rebbe gave a mystical teaching and didn't emphasize the action is what's the most important it's primary so you can learn mystical concepts the difference between the Srofim angels and the Afanim angels and why this one says Kadosh 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 and this one says Baruch Kavod it's all wonderful but if it doesn't somehow practically physically manifest itself in a change in the way you serve God in direct relationship to God and to God's creatures fellow man then the point was missed okay all right so let's do this number one why can't we build the Mishkan on Shabbat number two what are these two Shabbatot that we talk about number three what is the flow and ebb number four what is Shabbat number three which is the supernal delight number four what is this masculine feminine and plural that we spoke about that relate to the three different Shabbatot okay and then finally what is the self nullification beam we get all this straight we'll be ready to pack for the quintessential vacation okay all right let's dive right in let the amazement of Hasidus begin why can't we build a Mishkan on Shabbat so the question is really very deep why because if you look in the teaching of our sages it tells us that the entire purpose for which God chose to create the universe was because he had one desire to make for him blessed be he a dwelling place here below now the epitome of making a dwelling place for God here below is obviously the Mishkan slash holy temple 
What did God say when he commanded us to build the temple? You shall make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell within them. So the one place where God blatantly and in a very revealed sense dwelled in the physical world was in the Mishkan, then later in the, in the uh, Beta Migdash. So much so that our sages tell us that there were miracles that everyone saw. Just give you a practical miracle. For example, Jerusalem. It's cold. It's windy. Within Jerusalem itself, Temple Mount, it's colder. It's windy. The altar upon which the sacrifices were brought was outside in the courtyard. From the altar came up a constant pillar of smoke. What happens when there's a pillar of smoke going up and the wind is blowing? Right? So the sages tell us that anyone, Jew, Gentile, anyone that came and looked at it and said, wow, I'm holding on to my yarmulke because it's going to blow away and the beam of smoke from the altar is going straight up. Another thing that most people didn't see but in the Holy of Holies, which had to be 10 cubit wide, then you have the width of the, of the Holy Ark, which was placed right in the center against the wall, was what? Was two and a half. Two and a half. 10 minus two and a half equals seven and a half. Divide that in half from this side to this side is three and three quarters. And what happens? When you measured from here to here, it was five. When you measure from here to here, it was five. When you measure the Ark, it was two and a half total of 12 and a half walk outside behind the Mishkan measure the wall from end to end 10 because the level of presence of God that rested within the holy temple physically transcended beyond space thus the holy ark from which the voice of God came out between the two Keruvim is called Minamida Ve'ena Minamida it has a defined measurement of space, and yet it itself took up no space in the greater room. So if there's one place where we clearly see that God dwelled in the physical world, which was the ultimate purpose and desire of all of creating the universe, it's the Holy Temple. Why would you stop that in order to keep the Shabbat? If the Shabbat is one of the 613 steps how to make this world a place for God, and here we're, right here we're doing it. We're making a place for God. Why wouldn't it override it? That's the question here. Why did we stop? The answer has two explanations. Okay? What are the two explanations? Number one, the entire concept of building the Mishkan was in order to draw from above to below God into the physical world. Shabbat, on the other hand, is all about the elevation from below to the above. I'm going to explain this. Thus, the work of building the Mishkan above to below flow, bringing God down, cannot take place on Shabbat, which is all about from below to above. Okay? Let's just make some sense of this. Above is holiness. Below is mundane. What is Shabbat all about? Elevating from the mundane to the holy. So in the relationship with God, in the flow of the service, it's upbound from below to above. 
We talk about building the holy temple as being a house for God. So what are we doing? It's all about bringing from above to below. That's the whole purpose of building the temple. To bring the above to below. Thus, we now understand that the two don't work together. They're opposite forces. This is the service of from below to above. This is the service from above to below. Thus, we cannot do the service of from above to below on the day which is all about from below to above. We're going to get into more details. I want to tell you the second reason. In order to build the Mishkan, and I want to just explain this a little bit. Building the Mishkan is from the above to below. Who's building the Mishkan? We here below. Thus we need that we here below should be able to connect and to be aroused with the above. Right? And you can give you a simple example. If God forbid a hundred cockroaches came marching into your bedroom and bowed down and said, you are our king. What exactly are you going to do? The cockroach is so distant from the human that there's nothing that the cockroach can do that would arouse the human to want to be reacting, connecting, committed to the cockroaches. Now, the cockroach and I are both mortal beings, both creatures, both creations. So we have more in common than we have in common with God. Because they're both part of the below. When you talk about the relationship between the below and the above, it is, it is just totally out of the picture. Thus, we have two issues here. Number one, what would arouse the below to ever want to do something just for the sake of the above? And B, what within the below would even cause, arouse a reaction from the above? Thus, we have a teaching that in order for the below to even start its process and B, its process should create any reaction, the above must first empower it. For if the above does not empower the below, then A, the below has no interest in serving the above. The below's paradigm is by the below, for the below, with the below. We have nothing to do with above. Go work out your own issues. And then secondly, once the below does decide we're going to do something for God, why would God react? Right? So therefore, only when the above first touches the below, can the below then be aroused to do something out of its box of egocentric me and only me. What do I get out of this? What have you done for me lately? And try to work for the above. And B, only when he's touched by the above, will the above even react to what's going on from the below. Okay? 
Thus you have two reasons why the working of Shabbat and the building of the tabernacle and the Shabbat don't work together. I just need to end with one more point on this. So you have the above to below. That's what building, that's what the outcome of the Holy Temple is. In order to do that, we have to build. The below has to elevate and build. That's the building of the tabernacle for the sake of, for the above to below. In order for the below to even build anything that God would even sneeze at, we've got to be touched by the above. So we have to have from the above to below, to empower the below, to work from below to above, in order that it should solicit from an above to below, please God move into the home we've made for you. One more step here. You ever heard the saying, if love was walking right towards you in the street, you wouldn't even notice it, right? What happens is that even if the below was to be touched by the above, it would blow right over us. So before the above comes to touch the below, the below has to first epis, a little bit of menschlichkeit to go up. That's the Shabbat. So I want to go through the steps again because it's more than what you usually hear in Kabbalah and Hasidus. In this Bimer, the Rebbe has many more steps. Normally we only know three steps. God empower me from above to below. I will do my work from below to above, which will solicit God to come into my work from above to below. That's normally how it works. The Rebbe added on a dimension here. In order for that which the below comes down to, in order for that which the above comes to the below, to empower the below, to have any effect, and not just blow over, you know they say, the guy's the, uh, the control tower, you know that's who that relates to? Planes are just flying back and forth right over him. He has no idea. In order for that not to happen to us, we first have to have from a some form of from below to above. Okay? Thus we're now understanding a different dimension in Shabbat. So let's go through this. First we have to have an empowerment from above to below in order to even wake us up. That is the beginning of the first verse of the Torah portion. Vayakel Moshe and Moses gathered together the congregation of Israel. That gathering together of Moses was the empowerment from the above to below. Guys, wake up. Let's have a relationship. But in order for them to even be able to absorb that, to experience that, you have to first have an elevation from below to above. Thus, the first thing Moses tells them when he gathers them together is not about the building of the base of Migdash, but about keeping Shabbat. Because on Shabbat, a person is touched. You don't feel on Shabbat like you do on every other day. Automatically, the mundane is elevated to something just a little more holy. Why don't you tell you this, not in my notes, but this is how serious it gets. 
Someone who's an ignoramus, and I don't mean that in a negative way, you know, in the olden days, you know, what, what does Fidlan Roof say? At three I went to Cheder and at five I had a job. They just didn't have a chance to learn. By the way, I'm not here to advertise this, but in New York I just found out they're actually having Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you want to know how to spell my name for the ticket and the gift, you just <laughs> tell me. Okay. Anyway, back to seriousness. So what happens here is that the ignoramus doesn't know the details of kosher. Doesn't know the details of tithing. Thus we're taught that if you ask an ignoramus person, is this food kosher? Did you tithe this correctly? Even if he says yes, you don't believe him. Ah, if you ask him on Shabbos, you believe him. <laughs> Why? The Talmud says these words, Afila am ha'aretz. Doesn't lie in Shabbat. What happens if there's leftovers from the cholent and he invites you for Malava Malka after Shabbos? Can't eat it. Because Shabbos just elevates. So now we understand that the Shabbos that we're talking about in the Vayachel, what that is, is to elevate us so that when God does tap us on the shoulder, does touch us and kiss us on the forehead, it should truly affect us that we become aroused to step out of our egocentric box and do something for above. And that is also the empowerment for the above to react. We should make a difference. The whole cause and effect between us and God, the whole concept of we do and there's consequences to the good or to the bad does not make sense. Whether I eat a filter fish or whether I eat lobster, God forbid, how would that even... I mean, does it really make a difference to you if the cockroach is eating a prune danish or he's eating a cinnamon bun? It, it, just get out of my house. So why would it even make a difference to God? It's only because God empowers us to play a role for Him that it makes a difference. Thus God needs to empower us. But for Him to empower us, we have to first elevate ourselves. By the way, totally off the record, but I just want to, I'm just throwing things so that it really becomes clear. So you know that Moses had to dress up the high priest and the priest. There's an opinion that says he put on all the garments beside the pants. The pants the Kohen had to put on himself. So the first thing that comes to mind is modesty, right? Hasidus goes deeper. You got to first become a pat. You got to first become a mensch. Before Moses is going to sanctify you, become a mensch. Put on your pants. Once you've done that, you're in the realm where Moshe can now sanctify you with the clothing. That's what the first Shabbos does. Come on, guys. Become a mensch. Become different. Don't lie. Oh, you feel like a human. Then comes Vayakel Moshe. Moshe gathers us and touches us on the forehead. The above empowers us. Oh, it empowered us. Now we can build a tabernacle, which will then bring about I will rest among you. Now, if we're careful about this, we'll understand now that one Shabbos is before and one Shabbos is after. The Shabbos I just elaborated about is before. There isn't no building, no, no tabernacle, and there definitely isn't no God moving into our tabernacle, our Mishkan, without first having a Shabbos. 
Keep, bring us into the arena. The second reason was because they're opposite flows. When, was, when does the flow from above to below happen in the Mishkan? After we build the Mishkan, God's moving in. That means the second Shabbos has to come after the building. The first Shabbos has to become, come before the building. Now we understand why. In the original commandment, it was after. Because it's talking about once we start having the flow down, don't mix it, don't mix kasha and borscht, and then make it up. Stick to the program. The second time when it's, when it's listed, where we're actually doing the work, here, how can we do the work if we don't first have a Shabbos to empower us? Okay? So now we're understanding a little bit what these two Shabbatot are. So what we have clear here is that there's two Shabbatot. There's the two prohibitions represent the two Shabbatot, the Shabbos before which empowers, and the Shabbos after which is the effect. Okay? Now, I elaborated more on the Shabbos of empowerment. I want to elaborate now on the Shabbos of the rejuvenation, the Shabbos after. Okay? To understand this, I want to share with you, normally in Kabbalah we talk about ebb and flow. If you were paying attention distinctly when I was listing what I was going to talk about, I didn't say ebb and flow. I said flow and ebb, which is very unusual. So what is normal ebb and flow? The normal ebb and flow is defined beautifully by the great Book of Formation. There's a huge argument who wrote Book of Formation. One says Avraham Avinu, one says Moshe, one says Rabbi Akiva, one says even later. The Book of Formation, Sefer Yetzira, it has over there the following saying. Imrotz Libcha le Imrotz Libcha Shuv one one um, one transcript says the word Mokam, one transcript says the word Echad. What it means is if your heart is running, return to one or return to Makom. Makom literally means place, but you all know from the Pesach Seder, Barucha Makom Baruchu, who we blessing. God. God is called place, and the reason why he's called place is because of the famous statement of the sages, not the world is his place, but he is the place of the world. Thus, he is the ultimate definition of place within, within which everything exists. Bottom line, what is this teaching of the Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation, teaching us? What it's teaching us is that sometimes, sometimes we have this yearning, I want out. I'm so sick and tired of the rat race. I just want to be one with you, God. I'm ready to leave, God. Beam me up, Scotty. And that yearning to want to be close to God, what does it do? It brings to your attention that being close to God happens when you turn back around, come back down here, and do a mitzvah. Because the ultimate oneness with God that you can have is not in paradise. That's just a ray. Where do you actually, actually consummate with God? That chuppah where he held the mountain over us and he gave us the Torah mitzvahs. The mitzvahs, the consummation. When my brain is studying God's Torah, that's a consummation. That's the ultimate oneness. When my hand is giving charity, when my feet are walking, I have become the embodiment of God's will, of God's wisdom. He and His will is one. He and His wisdom is one. 
Thus, I realize if I really want to get close to God, reverse, make a U-turn, come back down here. Thus, you have the ebb, which creates the flow. Okay? There's an arousal within me to want to go up, and I realize the best way up is to come down. If I build a home for God here, God's essence is moving in here. God's essence is not in paradise. God's ray, radiance, is in paradise. Right? That's the normal thing. But there's an unusual conversation, specifically about Shabbos, which talks about not ebb and flow, but flow and ebb. You guys take upon yourself a project, a very strenuous project. Whether it be strenuous physically, whether it be strenuous mentally, or whether it be strenuous emotionally, when you finish, you are kaput, exhausted, extremely exhausted. And then you go to sleep and you wake up rejuvenated. What's happening here? According to Kabbalah, what's happening is that when you're awake, conscious, and doing strenuous work, the faculties of your soul are outwards. They're outwards, they're shining, and they're working. You're working it. Thus, they become depleted. Thus, they need to return into the source i.e. the essence of the soul and over there they get rejuvenated flow ebb because here we're not talking about arousal we're talking about rejuvenation now if you guys would have my rigorous workout you would know that when you go to the gym and you work out your muscles to the point where you're really destroying them when they rejuvenate they're bulkier and stronger than before right thus the same thing spiritually when you really ride those faculties you're really using all your intellect and understanding and studying to the point where you really have a headache of exhaustion by the time you finish this study when you go to sleep rebound light the faculties are not shining downwards they're going back into the essence of the soul to get rejuvenated when they come back what do you have an unprecedented empowerment rejuvenation energy of the essence in the faculty that you didn't have before this is the general teaching and particularly we talk about this on Rosh Hashanah because the ten the ten, um, oh my God, Vayomer Hashem. Um, the ten sayings, there's another word for it, it's a fancier word. But the ten sayings of God, let there be light, let there this, let there that, right? Those are faculties from God coming out and creating. They work on a one-year lease. After that lease, they're depleted. They're coming back up into the essence of God. Therefore, we have to blow the chauffeur to arouse it from there to come back down. When it comes back down, the wording of Kabbalah and Hasidus is that there's nimshecha or chadash. There is drawn a new unprecedented light of divinity in the world. In particular, we talk about on Rosh Hashanah, 
In general, we talk about it on Shabbat. After the six days of the week, where we're totally exhausted, Shabbat is the rejuvenation where the faculties of the soul return into the soul and come down all the more powerful in an unprecedented way. Okay? Now we understand that this has to happen after the six days of work. After the strenuous effort of the faculties of the soul building a tabernacle. Building a holy temple. It can't come before, it has to be after. It can't come during because your faculties aren't shining outwards while you're returning to the source. Thus we have two times it tells us do not build a holy temple on Shabbat. One time it tells us after the details because that is the rejuvenation that happens only because of the work of building the tabernacle. And then you have the other Shabbat which is before the building of the tabernacle, before the building of the Mishkan, because without it, A, we're not going to step out of our comfort zone for God, and B, whatever we do would make no difference above. Thus you have the two Shabbatot, the before and the after, and we now understand why. Yes, in that sense, yeah. Yeah, it first mentions the after and then the before. But you know why? Because the first time he's talking about the commandment. So it comes after. Here we're talking about the actual work. You can't have the actual work if it's not before. Okay? Okay, so that's the flow and ebb bit. Now let's talk about the rest. Besides the Shabbat that it tells us in Pasha's Kisiso after the commandment of the tabernacle. We're on page 5. And besides the commandment of Shabbat that we're told in this week's Torah portion before we start building, there's a simple commandment in the Ten Commandments. A total third Shabbat. Not before and not after. Totally something different. What is that called? That is called the Shabbat of Delight. So let's talk about this. The building of the tabernacle in, in the greater sense doesn't just talk about building the Beis HaMikdash. Rather, each and every one of us have to make a base amigdash of ourselves. And how do we make a base amigdash of ourselves? How do we make a base amigdash of the world around us? And that's through the work of tikkun, is the word you might be familiar with. However, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the word is birurim. The word birurim means to separate and define evil from good. And birurim also means refinement. Simply speaking, before Adam and Eve ate from the tree, right? What came to convince them to eat from the tree? The serpent, the snake, right? Let me ask you a question. When you want to sin, there's a snake whispering in your ear. Doesn't take much. Comes from within. So why didn't it say that Adam or Eve, it starts with Eve, and Eve suddenly had a desire. No, I got some mice with the snake. She's arguing with the snake. And then finally she, the snake wins and she eats. And like a good wife, she doesn't want to go anywhere without her husband. She feeds her husband too. What happens now? What happens is that Adam and Eve were good. The snake had the concept of evil. Good and evil were separate. There was no balagan. Thus we're taught 
that from when Adam and Eve ate, internalized, and it became part of their cells and their blood, there is no good without evil, and there is no evil without good. Thus today we first have to have the bureau of separation. One of the biggest problems is that we lie to ourselves that the sin we want to do for selfish reasons is really idealistic and really holy. If I don't steal, how am I going to give charity? I don't mean stealing, mama, stick my hand in your pocket. I'm talking about the little white lies in, in business and the contracts, you know? So there is this mixture of evil and good. Thus the concept of the whole building of the tabernacle and everything that took place in the tabernacle. First, you had to have the building. You had to take this work and then do it. The wood, the gold, all the 15 slash 13, however you count them, different items. And then you had to bring a sacrifice. In the sacrifice, you first had to check the animal. Make sure it's good. Number one, you can only bring a sacrifice from a kosher animal. So first you're separating, identifying, this is good and this is bad. And then whatever you could elevate, that which is not bad, we will elevate. That is called in Kabbalah and Hasidis, avoidas habirurim, the service of birurim, separation and refinement. Now, I put in links for you people to see it, but you will see that there are 39 categories of work which is prohibited to do on Shabbat. I believe it's the eighth one, which is boyer. You're not allowed to boyer on Shabbos. You're not allowed to, for example, when you eat watermelon, you're not allowed to first pick out the pits. Believe it or not, on Shabbat, if you don't buy the seedless watermelons, you have to actually bite into it and then later just spit out the pits. You're not allowed to be boyer. Just a simple law. Okay? Thus we now understand that the Mishkan is prohibited to do on Shabbat in the dimension of that it's boyer. And the whole work of boyer is prohibited on Shabbat. In other words, let's take it from a different way. This third Shabbat has nothing what to do with the empowerment to do the avoidus haboyer or the prohibition to actually do it on Shabbat. That's the before and after. That's Shabbat number one, empowerment. Shabbat number two, rejuvenation. However, there's a third Shabbat which is something completely different. And that complete different Shabbat is why we call Shabbat Oneg Shabbat. So let me share with you a verse. The verse said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, Vayichal Elohim, and God completed by Yom Shvi'i on the seventh day his work that he did. Whoa, 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 whoa. God completed the work on Friday. Shabbos, he was resting. It should have said, Vayichal Elohim, Vayom Hashishi, Vayonach, Vayom Shvi'i. He completed his work on Friday. And he rested on Shabbat. That's not what it says. It says that God completed the work on the seventh day. And he rested on the seventh day. What work did he complete? So Rashi quotes the Medrash, the Bereshus Rabbah. And he says, he gives two reasons. And the second reason is, 
I'll read it to you. I think if I can find it. Do, 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 do. Okay. He says like this. What was the world lacking? Rest. The Shabbat came and so came rest. Thus the world was incomplete because it didn't have minucha. So they're both true, so to speak. God rested on Shabbat. By resting on Shabbat, God introduced rest into the world and thus the world was completed. Now, if you look at the word minucha, minucha means more than just rest. If you ever heard the word minuchat hanefesh, you ever heard that terminology? Minuchat hanefesh. It's a deep level of inner peace. It is actually a sense of delight. Ah, that's minucha. Snoring isn't minucha. So in a sense, what's he saying here? On the seventh day, nothing what to do with the first six days. On the seventh day, there was the concept of oneg, supernal delight, minucha. That's something in its own. Not an empowerment for the six days and not a rejuvenation from the six days. It's its own concept. That's a total different thing. Menucha is not rejuvenation and menucha is not preparation, empowerment. It is. I want to suggest to you as follows. When it says that God brought menucha on Yom HaShvi'i, and that's why it says Vayechal, and he completed. That means that before Shabbat brought Menucha, every detail of creation of the first six days was incomplete. It's not shot that the, the package was okay, it was just missing something. No, every detail of the package was incomplete. The light of the first day was incomplete. The fermentation of the heavens was incomplete. The gatherings of the water was incomplete. The earth giving out fruits and vegetation and trees was incomplete. Everything was incomplete. Thus I would share with you that on the first six days, the universe was nothing more than Pinocchio, God's puppet. Shabbat created an ultimate transformation which now made the universe the living child of God. Now the difference between Pinocchio the puppet and Pinocchio the child is not just a detail. It's not just in quantity. It's a total transformation of the quality. Thus the quintessential vacation on this level is that in the present we experience the unprecedented which in itself now changes the entire past and the entire future. Now everything is alive. It's not just shot that before was black and white and now it's color. No. It's not just shot that before was two-dimensional and now it's three-dimensional. Rather, now we're talking about a fourth dimension. Pinocchio, the three-dimensional puppet, was just a puppet. Pinocchio, the child, was more than just three-dimensional. Thus, the ultimate concept of Shabbat, by the way, you know, when you talk about Yontiv holidays, what do you say? Simchat Yontiv. Simcha is joy. 
When you talk about Shabbat, you never say Simchat Shabbat. You say Oneg Shabbat. Oneg is different. Joy, you're getting up, you're dancing. Oneg, you're not doing anything. But it's... I always use this example if you want to know what Oneg is. So you're sitting on a chair, and lo and behold, to your surprise, your two kids are getting along. <laughs> Do you get up and dance? No. You just sit there and kvel. You're, you're, you just, it's a difference. It's a transformation. Not quality, not quantity. It's just a total different thing. Thus, we now understand the three Shabbatot that we have. Shabbat number one is to empower us to have the upcoming week. Shabbat number two is the rejuvenation from the past week, bringing back unprecedented power. But then there's a Shabbat that has a total different outcome of bringing up all the home for God and drawing God into the home. Now comes the supernal delight of Hashem, delight into the world. That's different. That's a total different thing. I'll give you another example. Another example. These are homemade examples, so don't uh, dissect them too much. You see a guy in his office, a CEO, owner, entrepreneur of uh, the Grosse, uh, whatever, multi-billionaire. And secretaries are coming and going, and then the, the, the people are coming. Ah, oh, you know, Houston, we got a problem. Okay, we got to settle this problem. Oh, we just made $4 billion. Oh, everything is good and fine. And then lo and behold, surprise. His six-year-old only child comes into his office on the way back from school with his backpack and says, Tati, the transformation that happens in that person in a second. Because in that, Tati, all of a sudden he understands the true dimension of purpose, why he's doing all of this anyway. So Hashem goes ahead and has a big company working. A big company. Six, seven billion people. That's just humans. And then we have the other ones. And it's coming and it's going from above to below, below to above. Houston, we have a problem. They're sinning. They're, they're making idols. No, it's okay. Oh, Hashem, you just made four billion dollars. The Jews are doing great mitzvot. And then and the humanitarian causes of the nations. It's beautiful. It's all coming and going. And all of a sudden, a Yidl on Shabbos is singing Zmiris. Tati. Oinik Shabbos. So yes, that is after Shabbos number one, building the tabernacle in six days, Shabbos number two, but it's a total different ballpark. Now let's talk about it in the masculine, feminine, and the, uh, and the plural. So the first one Friday night is feminine, right? First thing we have to have is receive the energy to be able to do what we got to do. Feminine represents receiving. Then you have the masculine. The masculine is the outcome of the rejuvenation. An unprecedented energy of the essence within the faculties. And then you have the plural. The supernal delight which transcends beyond receiver and giver and they both coexist because now Pinocchio is being transformed into a living child. The universe is becoming alive now. Now we understand the three points of Shabbat. Understanding the three points of Shabbat 
and Shabbat represents to us vacation, we can now go into the closing. So let me read this to you. Oh, packing for a vacation. There are three levels to a vacation. There is the letting go from the past. There is the rejuvenation, rejuvenating for the future. And there is the ultimate transformation of the present through which the past and the future become truly alive. The three steps in total practicality. No Kabbalah, no Hasidis, let's get practical. Right? You guys together? <laughs> You're dating. So you listen to this well. Okay? She's going to want all of this. Step number one. Don't self-sabotage the vacation by leaving with pertinent past work unfinished. How often we do that? The night before I go to see my kids in New York, I'm not sleeping. I'm up, hopping around. I have so much to finish. By the time I get to my kids in New York, they're talking to a dead daddy. Self-sabotage. Another way of putting this is, once you leave the office, that last day of work, before the vacation, accept that all is presently complete and in the past. Hand it over to God. I'm done. Number two. Don't take along any preparatory work for when you get back. Even just reading of that one file for the meeting to take place the day after you return. Listen, honey, I'm going to spend with you all day, but I do need a little bit of time because I got this big meeting when I come back and I really got to prepare myself for it. Another way of putting this is to simply surrender to one day at a time and that we deal with the day after the vacation when we get back from the vacation. This is step one and two. Truthfully, both of these can primarily be handled with setting strong boundaries with your office concerning communicating with you during the vacation and setting a strong boundary with yourself that you are letting go for the duration of the vacation. By the way, today with cell phones, you could be on a cruise ship with your sweetheart of your life sitting at an all-you-can-eat buffet, but you're really in your office. So the first thing is set boundaries. Set boundaries with the past and the future. Don't communicate with me. This one's in charge. He'll handle everything while I'm gone. And then make a boundary with yourself. I'm here now. This is where I am. I'm here in mind, in body, in emotions, and in soul. I'm here now. By the way, one of the greatest parts of taking a cruise is that after a certain distance, your cell phone doesn't work until you get to the next island. <laughs> it's amazing. The vacations on a cruise take place from when you lift, leave until you get to the first stop. <laughs> yeah. Then there's a third one, the quintessential vacation. While dependent on the prelude of step one and two, it depends on a thorough agreement with our souls. If you want to have the quintessential vacation, one, two, and three, delight, you've got to have a very thorough agreement with your soul. What is the agreement? That we work to live and not live to work. Without that, you can't have supernal delight. Because supernal delight is from within. There is no within. If I'm living to work, then it's not within, it's without. And that doesn't happen. However, 
This demands a clear definition of what to live means. I work to live. All right? If you ask a certain person what means work to live, it means to be able to have a huge palace, and it means to be able to drink. It means to be able to... What is to live? We work to live. What does it mean to live? If you don't define it, that you can't really define whether you're working to live or living to work. And for some people, work is living. I feel alive when I'm working. For the Jew, it means our relationship with God, the Torah, our people, and our land. That's what it means to live. Now, very important, the next sentence. And it all begins at home, having an awesome relationship with ourselves, and with our family. This is what we open ourselves this is when we open ourselves up for our quintessential vacation. So I know it all gets but it's really important here. I want this couple to have a happy marriage. Oh I'm already married you off guys, don't worry about it. Don't waste your money on the dating. <laughs> guys, there comes a time where the yesterday has ended. That's it, it's done. I accept that right now it's done. And then there's the, the tomorrow isn't here yet. So I'm not dealing with it and I'm not taking it home with me. And I'm definitely not taking on my, conversation, uh, my vacation with me. And then there's the ultimate knowing what I live for because I know my definition of life. That's what a vacation is all about. Thank you.